gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today we read the third of the Matthean parables by Jesus concerning the last judgment. We've read these parables over the last three weeks. And so it's a good time, I think, to recap these parables and the message they give us. Remember, two weeks ago, we read the parable of the foolish bridesmaids, the bridesmaids who were waiting for the bridegroom, and they had their oil, but the bridegroom was delayed, and they were not prepared. 
they ran out of oil, and so they had to run out, try to go buy more oil in the middle of the night. And of course, the bridegroom came during that time. And when the bridesmaids returned, they had been locked out of the wedding banquet. We're told at the end of that parable that the, uh, the message is stay alert or be prepared. In other words, we are always to be prepared for that second coming, for that judgment day. Good message. But there's a fly in the ointment. Yes, that's a pun. Oil, fly, ointment, okay. Here's the problem. The problem is, it's a good message, but it leaves us wondering, okay, if we're always to be prepared, what is it we're supposed to do to be prepared? How do we make ourselves prepared? And then the next Sunday, last Sunday, we read the parable of the servant who buries the talent in the ground. We talked about the the message there is that we are called to be bold in our faith, to be bold in our preparations for that day of judgment. Another great message, but still, still we are left wondering what it is we're supposed to do to constantly be prepared and to be bold. What do we do that prepares us? Then we get to today's parable, and finally, Jesus spills the beans. Jesus tells us what it is this preparation entails, what it is we're supposed to be bold about. And here's what it is. We feed the hungry. We give drink to those who are thirsty. We give clothing to those who are naked and homeless. We visit those in prison and care for those who are hurting. This is Jesus in a longhand way, by way of example, saying we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, if we pull back and reflect on these three parables, we've struck gold here, folks. Here we have it. Over three weeks, three parables, the three easy steps to heaven. What we're all here about, right? How do we get to heaven? And we're all looking, aren't we, for those boxes to check. And here they are in three parables. Be prepared, be bold, love your neighbor. Check, check, check. Heaven. Great, isn't it? Mm, But if we reflect on it for a little while, I think you might find that there are some problems here. Now, to be fair with you, I can only give you a moment or two to reflect. And I've had quite literally years to do this reflecting. So let me share with you this. There are lots of problems with this line of thinking, and I'll give you just a few. The first is this. In this three easy steps to salvation, what sets you and me, what sets us as followers of Christ apart from our our Jewish neighbors, our Muslim friends, our Buddhist and Hindu friends, friends of other religions and other faiths, or people of no faith whatsoever, what sets us apart from the atheist? Not a thing. If we take the reasoning solely on these three parables, then as long as we are constantly preparing and boldly acting and loving our neighbors ourselves, visiting and feeding and clothing, then we punch our ticket. There is no distinction. 
How about this problem? We know what we're supposed to do, but how much is enough? Well, we're supposed to be doing it constantly. We're supposed to be constantly prepared, okay, and bold, okay. But still, we have lives to live, folks, don't we? We got to work. We have families to take care of. We have time to spend with our families. We have errands to run. We have to have a little time to ourselves. We have to do all these things. So, so how much time, how much effort is required to cross that finish line? How much of this clothing and feeding and visiting and caring do we have to do? And, and can we say, well, 80% of us got it, 50%, 20%, 1%. We don't know. We don't know, do we? So that's a problem. And here's the biggest problem. If we, if we take these three parables and create our theology of salvation, then that salvation is all on us. We earn it. We do enough of this feeding and clothing and visiting and caring. And we do it constantly enough and boldly enough. It's all on us. Now, you all know the problem here. What have we been taught all of our lives that, you know, the truth is we are all sinful and broken people and we can never earn our way to salvation. We've been told that since we were old enough to hear it. And what about this business of forgiveness and grace? Where is that? So we got problems here, don't we? You see... What I'm talking about, I think, is maybe the best illustration of what you heard me say before, and that is the mistake we make in trying to create a system of theology out of one or two or a few or a handful of verses. And I think that problem springs from this. I think it springs from our preoccupation, our tendency to focus entirely on this question of salvation as if that were the only thing our faith is about. Let me give you an insight into a secret. Jesus was concerned about salvation, yes. But Jesus was concerned about so many other things. In fact, if you look at, the, look at the Gospels and what Jesus said and did, Jesus spent a lot more time talking about how we should treat each other than he did about getting into heaven. And so you see, these three parables don't stand alone. They can't stand alone. They are, if you will, simply three pieces of a much larger jigsaw puzzle. And that larger jigsaw puzzle is the message, all of Christ's message to us. And if we look at that jigsaw puzzle, the panoply of it, we realize that there are a lot of messages from Jesus, a lot of messages from God, and we are called often to hold seemingly contradictory positions in tension. And what we've been talking about today is the best example We will be judged. There is grace. We see that 
in today's lessons of the parables. And we see it just a few chapters earlier in chapter 14 where Jesus says, this is verse 18, by the way, Jesus says, it is not the will of your God in heaven that anyone should perish. A message of pure grace. So we hold these in tension. Nevertheless, we do have these three parables, don't we? So, so in the larger picture, how do we fit things in? Well, I think, the, I think it goes like this. There will be a day of judgment. Jesus will return and Jesus will judge each and every one of us. He will identify sheep. He will identify goats. And that which we've been taught all of our lives is true. None of us get there on our own. None of us through works, it's called works salvation, none of us through works can conceivably earn our way into the heavenly banquet. And then, then is when grace comes in. At that point, God says, nevertheless, nevertheless, Randy, I love you. Nevertheless, Randy, I forgive you. Nevertheless, Randy, I pour my grace on you and welcome into this eternal banquet in my presence. Now, those of you who are following along with me might be thinking at this point, wait a minute. This sounds like very circular logic, circular reasoning. If, if we're always going to fall short, we can't earn our way to heaven. And if we've got this grace and forgiveness, why bother? Why bother? Why bother with this feeding and caring and visiting and clothing? We got grace. Well, the answer is, it is circular logic. It is absolutely circular logic. But also in our faith, within this vast jigsaw puzzle, love intervenes to break the circle. But it's not, as we might intuitively think, God's love that breaks the circle. God's love is part of the circle. Circle The circular logic is broken by our love, our love for God. Let me try to explain it by giving a worldly example. I know pretty much everybody here well enough to say this, and the ones I don't quite know well enough, I'm going to guess it's true anyway. We've all got... Probably several, but at least this one someone in our lives. This one someone, y'all all know who it is for me, who we love so much, we respect so much, that we don't want to do or fail to do, we don't want to say or fail to say anything that will disappoint them. And on those times when we fall short and we do those things or say those things, We find that it saddens and it hurts us. 
The same is true with our relationship with God if we love and respect God enough, then we don't want to do or fail to do. We don't want to say or fail to say anything that will disappoint God. Please hear this. Our faith is not an exercise in getting to heaven. Jesus and God have already taken care of that. Our faith is an exercise in relationship. A relationship with the divine one. A relationship with the creator who created every one of us and loves all of us and each of us. God doesn't want our obedience so we can win a gold star, so we can punch our ticket to heaven. God wants us to return that love to God. And so we do these things in preparation. We do these things boldly, not so we'll win a gold star, not out of some fear of judgment. We do it because we want to please the one that we love and who loves us. We do it for the joy that it brings us for pleasing the immortal one. Amen.